ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد سوران ذا تشابتر باب ما جاء في الرقى والتمائم the chapter regarding what has been mentioned about ruqa and tamaim. And these will be explained during the course of this particular chapter. The first narration, uh, the narration of Abu Bashir al-Ansari radiyallahu anhu, أنه كان مع رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في بعض أسفاره فأرسل رسولا أن لا يبقينا في رقبة بعير قلادة من وتر أو قلادة إلا قطعت This hadith Abu Bashir al-Ansari رضي الله عنه says that he was with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم on some travels on a particular journey and so he sent a messenger the Prophet sent someone and said to him to not leave any neck of any camel which has any type of necklace upon it except that you cut it off. This was a false aqidah that some of the people used to have whereby they used to place necklaces and other types of strings uh, and things of that nature on the necks of their animals believing that it would protect their animals from the evil eye or it would protect their animals from any harm coming to them. So in Jahiliya, they used to do this. Put strings and necklaces and other types of uh, necklaces around the necks of the camels, believing that it would protect them from the evil eye, protect them from any harm coming to them. One of these types of necklaces was min water. Water is like the bow and arrow, the string that is on the bow, that type of string, they would make it a necklace out of that, uh, a round thing from that, and they would place it around the camel. And that was again from their ignorance, their ignorance believing that this string tied around the neck of the camel would protect this camel from the eye and remove any harm from it. Oh, Qilada. Qilada, again, it's another type of string or necklace. So basically, they used to place these strings and necklaces around the animals, believing that these certain strings and necklaces will protect the animals from any evil occurring to them. So the Prophet ﷺ said to him, do not leave any of these strings or necklaces around the necks of the camels, except that you cut them off. إِلَّا قُطِعَتْ Except that they are cut off. So this is a removal of the evil. That is no doubt an evil. Placing these strings around the necks of the animals, believing that these have an effect in protecting the animals from the evil eye. That was a corrupt aqidah that they were upon. So the Prophet ﷺ ordered that all of these types of necklaces and strings be removed and cut from the necks of the animals. So this shows 
very clearly the impermissibility of wearing these types of strings or necklaces around the necks of animals, let alone around the necks of humans. So for the one who wears them, believing that they will help in removing any harm or preventing any harm coming, then that person is upon a false aqidah, believing that these strings can bring goodness and they can remove harm or they can protect from harm. So that is not something which is permissible. It is a corrupt aqidah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned in the Quran, وَإِن يَمْسَسْكَ اللَّهُ بِذُرٍ فَلَا كَاشِفَ لَهُ إِلَّهُ That if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes you with some harm, then nobody can remove that except Him. وَإِن يُرِدْكَ بِخَيْرٍ فَلَا رَادَّ لِفَضْلِهُ And if Allah wants some goodness for you, then nobody can prevent that. So all of that is in the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it is not from these strings or these necklaces around the necks of the animals. So that clearly shows the impermissibility of them, that the Prophet ﷺ commanded for all of them to be cut off. The next narration, عن ابن مسعود رضي الله عنه قال سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول إن الرقى والتمائم والتولى شرك That indeed الرقى والتمائم والتولى All of these are shirk. And these items will now be explained. Firstly, this is the narration of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Abdullah ibn Mas'ud ibn Ghafil al-Hudhali al-Sahabi al-Jaleel. He was from the great companions Abdullah ibn Mas'ud. Radiallahu anhu. And he was from the great scholars of the companions. From the most famous of the reciters of the Qur'an. He was from the most famous reciters of the Qur'an. And he was somebody whom the Prophet ﷺ used to like his recitation. The Prophet ﷺ used to like his recitation. The recitation of Ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. And so he was known for these affairs and he was known for his knowledge. And the Prophet ﷺ even used to command him to read the Qur'an so he could hear. He was pleased with the recitation of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. So he was from the great scholars, from the people of knowledge, and he narrated many narrations from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and he was a mufti and a scholar of that time. In this narration, it mentions, well the hadith that this is mentioned here now, there's a story behind it. And the story behind it, apparently as it is narrated, is that Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu saw upon his wife Zainab radiallahu anha a string around her neck. That he saw a string around her neck. وَقَالْ لَأَنْتُمْ يَا آلَ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ أَغْنِيَا عَنِ الشِّرْكِ قَالَتْ إِنَّ عَيْنِي كَانَتْ تَطْرَفْ فَأَذْهَبُوا إِلَى فُلَانِ الْيَهُودِ فَيَرْقَاهَا فَتَكُفْ قَالَ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُ إِنَّمَا ذَلِكَ شَيْطَانٌ يَنْخَصُهَا بِكَفِّهِ فَإِذَا رُقِيَا كَفٌ ثُمَّ قَالْ سَمِعْتُ رَسُولَ الْأَسَسَلْمِ يَقُولْ إِنَّ الرُّقَى وَالتَّمَائِمْ وَالتِّوَلَى شِرْكِ So in this narration he mentions that he sees his wife or that he saw his wife Zainab رضي الله عنها wearing a string around her neck. And then she mentioned, it's because I have some illness in the eye, that water is coming out, or blood is coming out from the eye. 
And so she went to a particular Jewish person who uh, did some type of ruqya. And then he said to her, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anha, anhu, said to her that indeed that is from the shaitan. And then he narrates to her the narration from the Prophet sallam that indeed all of this ruqa and tama'im and tiwala, these necklaces, these strings, these various affairs, they are all from shirk. Then we have the narration of Abdullah ibn Ukaym al-Juhani, where he says, مَنْ تَعَلَّقَ شَيْئًا وُكِلَ إِلَيْهِ That whomsoever wears any of these items, the strings, the necklaces, etc., believing that they will protect him from the evil eye or remove any harm, then that person is left to his own devices. He's left with his necklace. He is left to his own devices with his necklace, with his string, to see if that necklace or string will do anything for him, and it will not. He will be left by himself, to himself. And that is certainly a great punishment for a person to be left by himself, and for a person to be left to his own devices. So he says here, whoever trusts in one of these things, he'll be left with that thing of his then. Allah will leave that person with his item, his string, his necklace, whatever it is that he's wearing, and he can put his trust in that, and it will do nothing for him. So that indicates what the previous narration meant, that a person when he wears that copper band, it will only increase him in weakness. And this is the same, when a person wears these strings and necklaces, it only increases him in weakness. It does not make him any stronger, it does not remove any harm from him, it only makes him weaker. Because that person then puts his trust and his dependence into these necklaces and strings. So the Shaykh says, Shaykh al Fawzan, فَهَذَا فِيهِ خَطَرٌ عَظِيمٌ Within this is a great danger. وَفِيهِ حَثٌ عَلَىٰ أَنْ يُعَلِّقَ الْإِنسَانِ قَلْبَهُ بِاللَّهِ عَزَّ وَجَلٌ And there is an encouragement here for a person to attach his heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is an encouragement in these narrations to leave your strings and whatever else but rather to place your heart with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to attach your heart to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to put your trust and your dependence in Allah, not in these strings and necklaces and whatever else they wear, believing they'll help them and protect them from the eye. وَأَنْ يَعْتَقِدَ أَنَّهُ لَا يَنْفَعِلَّ اللَّهِ وَلَا يَضَرُّ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And a person is to have the aqeedah that nobody can harm you, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the decree, the decree of Allah, and that nobody will benefit you except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلَا يَشْفِي إِلَّا اللَّهِ And that nobody can cure you except Allah. وَلَا يَرْزُقِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And nobody can give you sustenance except Allah. وَلَا يُعْطِي وَلَا يَمْنَعِ إِلَّا اللَّهِ And nobody can give you or take anything away from you except Allah. فَيَتَوَكَّلُ عَلَى اللَّهِ So the person therefore puts all of his trust in Allah. مَعَ أَخْذِهِ بِالْأَسْبَابِ الْمُبَاحَةِ الَّتِي جَعَلَهَا اللَّهِ أَسْبَابًا كَالدَّوَاءِ الْمُبَاحِ So you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and at the same time, you take the necessary means. You take the necessary means of availability, the means that are available to you, Like for example, somebody is ill, they put their trust in Allah and they take the medicine. You take the medicine, but you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He will cure you. 
So you take the means, but then in taking the means, you do not put your trust in the means, you put your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala whilst taking the means. So this narration says, مَن تَعَلَّقَ شَيْئًا وُكِلَ إِلَيْهِ Whomsoever wears anything of that nature, he'll be left to it. He will be left to that thing of his. And rather the believers, they say, حَسْبُنَ اللَّهُ وَنِعْمَ الْوَكِيلُ Allah is sufficient for us and the best of protectors. Not the uh, uh, strings or the necklaces. Allah is sufficient for us and the best disposer of the affairs. So that is where a person's trust needs to be, not in these necklaces and strings. Now the explanation of At-Tama'im. What does it mean in these narrations where it has been saying that it is impermissible to wear Tama'im? Tama'im, they are strings or something, شَيْءٌ يُعَلِّقُونَهُ عَلَىٰ الْأَوْلَادِ يَتَّقُونَ بِهِ الْعَيْنِ this is something that they used to put around their children. Tamima, tamaim. It is something that they used to place a necklace type of thing around their children. Believing that this particular necklace type of thing, this string, it will protect their children from the evil eye. That is what the tamaim were. That is what's being referred to. So there are tamaim that are two types. And this is of importance now. There are tamaim of two types. Tamaim, these amulets or these strings that they used to place around their children, believing that they would protect the children from the evil eye. There are two types. One type is where they write inside of them all types of things on the paper that they put inside this necklace. All types of things, not from the Qur'an. Another type is, where actually they may write pure Qur'an and pure du'as from the sunnah. So you have two types of these. One which is from other than the Qur'an and the sunnah. And that type is clearly impermissible without a doubt. Wearing something with all types of things written inside of it, not from the Qur'an, not from the sunnah, all types of other things. That is clearly impermissible. But the other type, the one where there is some Qur'an written inside of it, there are ahadith, authentic supplications written inside of it, and there is no other affair of shirk or anything whatsoever, pure. What's the ruling on wearing one of those? So this is what the people, they call the taweez. And they claim, most of the time, it is actually the first category, where there are all types of other things in there, which are not Qur'an and sunnah. Most of the time, these, what they call the taweez, most of the time there will be things in there which are actually not from the Qur'an and the Sunnah. All types of symbols, all types of writing that is illegible, it cannot be read, it cannot be understood. Markings, signs, symbols, that is commonplace. So those would be haram instantly anyway. But let's say, for the sake of the argument, that there is... A taweez purely with just Qur'an written inside of it. Or authentic supplications written inside of it. So what's the ruling on those? Haram? Anyone else? We'll get to that in a moment. First is there... Is there also a dislike because you go to the toilets 
Okay, so with regards to those ones that are pure, then it should be noted that the Sheikh says here, the author, as Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, rahimahullah ta'ala, and you must understand this issue properly. Lakin idha kana al muallaq min al Quran, if this item that you are wearing is from the Quran, farakhasa fihi ba'd al salaf. Some of the salaf they allowed it. وَبَعْضُهُمْ لَمْ يُرَخِّسْ فِيهِ And some of them did not allow it. وَيَجْعَلُهُ مِنَ الْمَنْهِيِّ عَنْهُ And they said actually this is from the prohibited, from the prohibitions also. So some of the salaf they said no, even if it's pure Qur'an and uh, du'as, it is still prohibited. Others said if it is pure, it is allowed. <coughs> so now then, some of the salaf, said if it is purely from the Qur'an, then they allowed it. For example, Abdullah ibn Amr ibn al-As radiyallahu anhu and Aisha radiyallahu anha. Because they said if it is purely from the Qur'an, the Qur'an is a cure. Allah said in the Qur'an itself that it is a cure. And there is no shirk written in there, there is nothing else besides the Qur'an written in there, so there is no prohibition. It is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they said it is, principally speaking, permissible. Others, they said no, even it is the Qur'an. Even if it is the Qur'an, it is still not permissible. Like Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu. This difference which occurred between the Salaf, regarding whether it is allowed to wear the Qur'an or not, was based upon this issue of it being the Qur'an. Some of them said it is the Qur'an, purely Qur'an, that is the speech of Allah. What is the harm in wearing that? The Qur'an is a cure. Others, they said no, even if it's the Qur'an, it's not allowed. But why? Why did the others say, even if it's the Qur'an, it's not allowed? Before you get to those points, why? Companion said it's okay. Before you get to any of those points, there's another reason that we've already covered. All the narrations that we've mentioned so far, whoever wears a tamima, whoever wears a necklace, whoever wears a string, they're all general narrations. These companions who said even the Quran isn't allowed, they said, where's your evidence saying that the Qur'an is an exception to these narrations? They said, all these narrations are telling you, wearing these strings, wearing amulets, wearing anything of this nature, all these narrations are telling you it's not permissible. They said, why are you saying the Qur'an is an exception? The Qur'an is the same as those narrations here. You're wearing something on your neck, you're wearing something on your wrist, on your, on your ring. It's all the same, they said. It comes into these narrations. They are general narrations. Just don't wear anything whereby... You believe it's going to protect you, etc. Don't wear any necklaces doing that. Don't wear any strings doing that. They said it's general. So even if it's just Quran, it still comes into those narrations. You can't wear it. That's one point. They said you need to show us then some evidence which says the Quran is an exception. Because otherwise all these narrations here are general. Saying to us that any type of string, necklace, amulet, don't wear it. Don't wear it believing that's going to protect you from the evil eye or harm, etc. That's one point. Secondly is, as you mentioned,
people begin to put their trust into it. So even if it was purely Qur'an, no shirk in it, purely Qur'an, people begin to put their trust into them. And this is the problem now. The problem of the aqidah. When the companions, they said it's okay, they said it's okay based upon the correct aqidah. A person knows that his trust is not in this Qur'an, in this uh, necklace that he's wearing rather. He knows his trust is in Allah. But now the people, it's not like that. Now the people, when you give them a, a taweez as they call it, even if it's purely Qur'an, that person will begin to put their trust into it. If anything occurs, then it's the taweez that he's wearing. He feels comfortable now. He feels more secure now because he's wearing this. His trust starts to fall into the actual item that he's wearing. Even if it is purely the Qur'an. And when his trust starts to fall into that, and he starts to become attached to that, to the extent that if you take it off, all of a sudden now he becomes anxious, now his trust has started to fall into what he's wearing, even if it is purely the Qur'an. His trust is now into this necklace, is into what he's wearing, and the problem with that is, it can lead on to shirk then. Beyond that, this may be just the Qur'an that he's wearing. But once he starts putting his trust into something other than Allah, he starts putting his trust into something he's wearing, a necklace, then it leads on to something which can uh, lead to shirk. This may be the Qur'an, but beyond that it may lead to something which is shirk eventually. Because their aqidah is incorrect, their understanding is incorrect. That's another problem. That's another reason why it's not permissible even if it's the Qur'an. A third reason, as you mentioned as well, is because especially with children and even with elders, wearing a necklace of that nature with the Qur'an in it, it presents degradation to the Qur'an. Because you may keep that on, or end up walking into the toilet. You children may be wearing it, and they are playing football in the mud, and they're rolling around, and this necklace with the Qur'an in it is going around everywhere. So, it leads to the degradation of that. Because people, they'll wear that, and they'll wear it, most of the people as they do, casually tucked in, it's there. And they go and do whatever they want. They may be swearing, they may be doing other haram smoking, and this Qur'an is attached to their neck. So it puts down a degradation upon the Qur'an. That's another reason the scholars, they say it is not permissible to wear these. Because the people just don't understand, the aqidah is wrong, it puts the Qur'an to degradation. And so it is not permissible for that reason either. Another reason, even though, even though some of the Salaf said it is principally okay, because it is purely the Qur'an, and if your aqidah is correct, etc., etc., principally it's okay. But something that should be noted is, even though the likes of Aisha radiallahu anha said principally it is correct, Aisha radiallahu anha or any of the other companions who agreed with her, none of them ever actually did it. There are no narrations that are known that Aisha radiallahu anha or any of the other companions who agreed with her actually did it. That they actually made these, as we call them now, the taweez with the Qur'an in it, and they put them onto the necks of children or to themselves. It's not actually narrated that they did it. It's not narrated that they did it any time. Even though principally speaking, they said it's allowable. So for all of these reasons, it would indicate that it's not something you do. Principally speaking, you could say, okay, it's just the Qur'an. There's no shirk in the Qur'an, of course. That's okay, principally speaking. But because of all these other reasons, 
the aqidah of the people is incorrect, their trust will start to fall into the wrong place, it can open up the door to shirk afterwards, degradation for the Qur'an, the fact that the salaf who allowed it didn't actually ever even do it. For all of these various reasons we would say therefore, that a person does not wear this taweez even if it is purely the Qur'an. Even if it was purely genuinely the Qur'an, which is rare anyway, it's rare anyway, but even if it was, still we'd say for all these reasons do not wear that. And for most of the time, most of the time, when you open up these taweez, it is rarely ever just the Qur'an. There is always these symbols, and there is always these signs, and there's always these markings and all sorts, which would make it impermissible in the first place anyway. So the ones who did allow it principally, they put conditions down. They said one of the conditions is that it has to be purely Qur'an, nothing else. That it must be written in Arabic, clear Arabic, not an English translation or anything, clear Arabic. And that the person wearing it must believe and have the correct aqidah that the cure is from Allah, not from this what he is wearing. And that third one causes a big problem now. If anybody wants to start bringing these proofs and say, but some of the companions said it's okay, you can do it. The reality is now the aqidah of the people is so far from the reality and the truth. They are so ignorant of the reality of the aqidah. You would say to them, you have failed the conditions that the companions put down anyway. Because one of the conditions they put down was you must be upon the sound and upright aqidah, knowing about your trust in Allah, not that you start to trust what you are wearing. So for various reasons, it is not permissible for the people to wear those, even if it was on the off chance, pure Qur'an. Then the Shaykh explains what is a ruqah. A ruqah is basically ruqyah, reciting upon a person. When you do the ruqyah and you recite upon a person, that is the ruqah, the ruqyah. And the ruqyah, it is mentioned that والرقى هي التي تسمى العزائم وخص منها وخص منها الدليل ما خلا من الشرك فقد رخص فيه رسول الله صلى من العين والحمى. So ruqya, if it is done in the correct manner upon the evidences, it is acceptable. But what is the conditions for the correct type of ruqya that is acceptable? The Prophet ﷺ mentioned in a hadith, He said to them, show me your ruqya. What is it that you do? What is it that you recite? He said to the people, show me the ruqya that you do. Whatever is not shirk within it, then it's acceptable. So the Prophet ﷺ said to them, whatever is free of shirk and those types of affairs, then it's okay. Reciting upon a person with authentic du'as, with the Qur'an, Reciting upon a person, that is something acceptable. The Prophet ﷺ was recited upon. So that is something acceptable, but with conditions. One is that it must be completely free of any shirk. There must be not any statements or any words that are indicative of shirk in any way, or of shirk in any way. Secondly, that it must be from the Qur'an or du'as that are authentically narrated. It must be from the Qur'an or authentically narrated du'as. Thirdly, that it must be read in a manner which is clear and audible and understood. 
Not that a person mumbles and it cannot be comprehended what he is saying. That is incorrect. So it must be clear and audible and understood, comprehensible. And that a person who is having the ruqya dun upon him, he must know that the dependence and the trust is upon Allah, not upon the person who is coming to do the ruqya. And this is a problem as well, whereby the people in a state of illness, in a state of problem, and they have someone to come and do the ruqya on them, their heart becomes attached to the person doing the ruqya. Believing that this person is an expert, he knows how to do ruqya, he can deal with these things, and their trust starts to fall into the person. That the person will help me and he will do the proper ruqya and I'll be cured afterwards. So a person needs to remember the correct aqidah at all times. Even if somebody does ruqya upon you, the cure is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So your heart is not attached to the person doing the ruqya upon you, your heart is still attached to Allah. This person doing the ruqya is now a means. He is not the cure himself. So these types of affairs are very important for a person to remember. Tiwala, this other type, a tiwala, that was mentioned, that tiwala is also impermissible. This was شَيْءٌ يَسْنَعُونَهُ يَزْعُمُونَ أَنَّهُ يُحَبِّبُ الْمَرْأَ إِلَى زَوْجِهَا وَالرَّجُلُ إِلَى مْرَأَتِهِ a tiwala is something that they used to make believing that believing that it brings love between the husband and wife. This was something that they used to make, a type of necklace they used to make, believing that it brings love between the husband and the wife. And sometimes it's mentioned that they used to make these from the pearls of the sea, etc., Different types of necklaces they used to make and this was known as the tiwala and they believed that this would bring love between the husband and the wife and to keep them upon that bond of love. And of course that is falsehood. That is falsehood and that is an incorrect belief and that is uh, in opposition to what is in the Quran and the Sunnah regarding these affairs. Then after that we have the narration وَرَوَى أَحْمَدَ عَنْ رُوَيْفِعْ قَالْ قَالَ لِي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ وَسَلَّمُ يَا رُوَيْفِعْ لَعَلَّ الْحَيَاةَ سَتَطُولُ بِكَ فَأَخْبِرِ النَّاسَ أَنَّ مَنْ عَقَدَ لِحْيَتَهُ أَوْ تَقَلَّدَ وَتَرًا أَوْ اسْتَنْجَى بِرَجِيعِ دَابَّةٍ أَوْ عَظْمٍ فَإِنَّ مُحَمَّدًا بَرِئٌ مِنْهُ in this hadith, Ruwayf, uh, Ahmed, ibn, uh, uh, Naam, Ahmed narrates from Ruwayfi' Ruwayfi' ibn Thabit al-Ansari radiallahu anhu, the Prophet said to him that, Oh Ruwayfi' maybe you will end up living a long time. So tell the people that whomsoever ties his beard or makes the, the bow and arrow strings or that he cleans himself after the call of nature with the dried feces of animals or bones, then indeed Muhammad is innocent of him. This narration then, within it firstly is a miracle or a sign from the signhoods, or a sign from the prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ. Because he said to Ruwayfi' ibn Thabit radiallahu anhu that maybe you will live a long time. So tell the people these things. And the reality is that Ruwayfi' ibn Thabit did indeed live for a very long time. So that occurred just as the Prophet ﷺ said to him, that maybe you'll live a long time, so tell the people this. 
And in reality, he ended up living a very long time. So that shows one of the signs of the Prophethood. That the Prophet ﷺ was made aware of this affair. Uh, then, he says to him, tell the people, inform the people, tell the people. That whomsoever, firstly, aqada lihyatahu. This, the scholars have differed over what it means. The person who does the aqad of his lihya. Some of the scholars, they say that this was one of the habits of the Persians, whereby they would tie uh, knots in their beards or plaits in their beards. And this was something that they would do as a sign of arrogance and haughtiness. That the Persians, they used to do this, and that was a sign of greatness and arrogance and haughtiness within them. That they used to braid their beards in this particular way. Another opinion of the scholars is that the meaning of the narration is whomsoever puts his beard into knots and plaits, etc. during the prayer. That his beard is in that way, tied, etc. during the prayer. Some of the scholars say that's the meaning of this hadith. Others they say that the meaning of this particular narration is that a person, he is extravagant with his beard. That he performs all types of uh, beautification processes on his beard, uh, all types of maybe chemicals and procedures and whatever it is that they do to beautify his beard, that this is the prohibition being spoken of, to go to an extreme with that regard. Generally beautifying the beard, of course, it is good and it's acceptable, but the issue is the one who goes into levels of luxury and extremeness in terms of the processes and chemicals and whatever else they do, and the time and the money into the beautification of the beard, some of the scholars said maybe that's the meaning of this hadith in terms of maybe curling the beard and other types of activities with the beard. Uh, there is a fourth opinion which is that some of the scholars they say that they used to tie the knots in their beard or put the plaits in their beard fearing from the evil eye. That this was something that would protect them from the evil eye. So these are the various statements regarding that issue. That is the first thing the Prophet ﷺ mentions in this hadith regarding the beard and that type of activity with the beard. The second issue, taqallada wataran, meaning that somebody makes a necklace or a string out of the bone string thing that we mentioned, that somebody makes those types of strings fearing the evil eye or thinking it will protect you from the evil eye or bring some goodness to you and remove some harm from you. And that was from their ways of ignorance. Oistanja or a person he cleans himself after urinating or defecating uh, by using the bones of the uh, uh, animals or using the dried feces of the animals. Uh, a person who does that, these actions, the Prophet ﷺ says that he is innocent of them. The one who does these actions, the Prophet ﷺ is innocent of them. When the Prophet ﷺ says in a hadith, that whomsoever does X, Y, and Z, then he is innocent of them. This indicates that those sins are major sins. It indicates that the sins are major sins. When the Prophet ﷺ says, I am innocent of the one who does X, Y, and Z. So here, the issue about the beard and those types of activities with the beard, the issue of making the strings and necklaces from that bow arrow material, or any other material, but that's what they used to use for making the strings and necklaces, and the issue of using the bones and the dried feces to clean yourself 
All of these activities, they are impermissible. And the Prophet says, whomsoever does them, then I am innocent of him. Meaning the person has committed a major sin in performing those activities. And to such an extent that sometimes it could become more than that. With that issue of making the necklaces and the strings, a person may fall into more than just a major sin. It could be an act of kufr or shirk, depending on what his aqidah is. Then the next narration, which some of the scholars have said is actually a weak narration. And Sa'id ibn Jubair qal, Man qata'a tamimatan min insanin kana ka'idli raqabah. That whomsoever cuts one of these necklaces, etc. from a person who's wearing them, believing it will help him. Whoever cuts one of those off a person, then he gets the reward as if he has freed a slave. The scholars, they say the narration is not authenticated to the Prophet However, nevertheless, the general meaning of it is a good meaning. That this shows to you the virtue of enjoining the good and forbidding the evil, generally speaking. Even though the narration in of itself, it is spoken about. But generally speaking, that it encourages the enjoining of the good and the forbidding of the evil. That you see a person wearing strings, necklaces, and you tell him. Tell him what the correct aqidah is. Tell him why this is false to put your trust in these things. Tell him why this is you're wearing, even if it is purely Quran. Most of the time it won't be. Challenge him to open it, have a look, and you'll find all types of things in there. So, you enjoin the good and you forbid the evil with that regard. The final narration in the chapter is regarding that issue of the pure Quran. It's a narration from Ibrahim al-Nakha'i, one of the great scholars of the Tabi'een, those who came after the companions. He said, كَانُوا يَكْرَهُونَ التَّمَائِمَ كُلَّهَا مِنَ الْقُرْآنِ وَغَيْرِ الْقُرْآنِ What do they translate that as? They disliked all types of amulets. What does your version say? They disliked. They objected. All of those translations are. All of those translations are deficient to a degree. Because here, yakrahuna, even though in the Arabic language the verb kariha yakrahu means to hate something. When the Salaf, they mention the word kariha yakrahu with regards to these points of aqidah, like in this example here, it actually means yuharrimuna, that they viewed it as impermissible, not just objected or disliked. They viewed it as impermissible. Kanu yakrahuna tama'im, meaning that they used to make it impermissible, all of these tama'im. That is the meaning of this here now. Because when the Salaf used to say that they dislike something, or they object to something, the meaning of that with regards to the speech of the Salaf in these affairs of Aqidah is that they made it haram. They objected or disliked, i.e. they said it's haram, not just they said it's makruh or something. Here the meaning of it isn't makruh or disliked or objected, it is actually that they viewed it as haram. So when Ibrahim al says here that they used to dislike or object to the Tama'im, i.e. that they used to view them as haram and impermissible. Min al-Qur'ani wa ghayr al-Qur'an. Whether it was from the Qur'an itself or from other than the Qur'an, obviously. Even if from the Qur'an they used to view that as impermissible, as we saw many of the uh, uh, scholars, the Sahaba, their opinion was that. But even those, as we mentioned, who said you can do it, there were all those strict conditions. One of the biggest of those being your aqidah has to be sound and upright. 
How many people out there now have the sound and upright aqidah? They don't understand it, they don't learn it, they don't educate themselves with it, so it wouldn't be permissible for them to be doing this kind of activity. As well as all the other reasons, one of them being that the Salaf who allowed it themselves didn't actually ever do it. They allowed it, but they never actually did it. Principally speaking, they said it's okay because it's the Qur'an. But with the issue of the degradation, with the issue of the aqidah being out of place, with the issue of them not actually doing it, then we say that it is not something that a person should do. And so you should avoid that and put your trust and your dependence in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, not into these tama'im, the taweez, the necklaces, the rings, the strings. Your, te- your dependence and your trust is in Allah purely and not in any of these other objects or items. That is the end of that chapter and the next chapter. Babun man tabarraka bi shajaratin aw hajarin aw nahwihima. The chapter regarding taking blessings from a tree or a stone or something of that nature. People, they do this type of thing. Now Hajj is coming up, people will be doing it there. They will, some people as they do, take a jar and bring some of the sand from Arafah back with them. Saying that this is blessed sand, it is from the sand of Arafah. Some of them will even try to take a little bit of the cloth from the Kaaba off, a few strings or cut something off. This is blessed cloth, this is the cloth of the Kaaba. So this next chapter is going to look at this issue of seeking blessings from something. How and what is that? Is it permissible? Is it not? What are the rulings regarding it of seeking blessings from people or from places or from other things? That inshallah is what we'll begin with when we come back after Eid. Uh, and we'll leave it there today and we'll begin with that chapter in the next session insha'Allah ta'ala wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in